Please be aware that some of the descriptions in this podcast are quite graphic, as they involve the loss of a limb and some strong language. So please, listen with caution. The loosens the rope wrapped around my arm and sucked me up into the fan. And I looked over and only looked over for a brief moment and I realized my arm was gone. I vividly remember running down the street of New Hampshire Avenue and my bone catching it in the corner of my eye and I didn't want to see it. I had a kind of tough time with my father as a wrestler. and My father puts his arm around me and pulls me close and says, hey, hey, Willie, maybe this sport isn't for you. And for four years, I pulled away from my dad. I'm running into the hospital and my father and I collide and he grabs and, and I can see he's just destroyed by what I what happened to me and if you have a child imagine that a few weeks later I'm laying on the back in a hospital and that's when I came to the realization that uh, my arm was chopped off I, I closed my eyes and I had no idea what I was going to do sometimes it takes being thrown in the gutter to see that everyone's pretty darn close and we all need the same things. I, I became a better person after I lost my arm. Part two, the rise. The first time Willie Stewart did the Ironman World Championship in Hawaii, he didn't own a prosthetic arm. So he had to do the 112 mile bike ride with one arm. This is Beyond, a podcast about people doing extraordinary things. The wind was so bad, he knew he couldn't take his one hand off the handlebars to grab a water bottle at the aid stations because he'd get blown over. So he put a one-gallon reservoir under his seat with a tube on it so he could drink without taking his hand off the bars. Besides the extra weight he was carrying, he also had to stop in Javi and refill the reservoir, get back on, ride back to Kailua, and then run the marathon. Willie doesn't consider any of that a big deal. Trust me, it's a big deal. That's the voice of Bob Babbitt, Ironman Hall of Famer, talking about Ironman and endurance athlete Willie Stewart, a champion in both athletic terms and in his support of disabled and adaptive athletes everywhere. Welcome back, everybody. My name is Eric Gilsonen, bringing you another episode of Beyond, Beyond is about triathletes, but it isn't about race results, rankings, or just the pros. It's about the humans who are drawn into this great sport, their backstories and life-changing events that drew them into triathlon, and in turn, what triathlon did for them and to them. It's my pleasure to introduce the second part of Willie Stewart's compelling story. In part one, we learned about Willie's life-altering construction site accident his struggles to find the athlete he once was and regain his sense of self-worth. In part two, we get a candid first-person account of what it's like to come back from isolation, to regain what was lost and actually become stronger and achieve greater heights. Towing the line. Two years of my life went by where I had nothing to fill the void that I was used to, which was exercise. I gave up on everything. And then my mom made me promise to sign up for a run. And I said, okay, mom, I'll, I'll sign up for the run. 
And I was just placating her because I had no, I said I would sign up for the run, but I didn't say I would do it. And I didn't believe in myself and my courage and my, I was not very strong, I think, looking back. So I signed up for the run. My mother came in to my room and I was probably 19 at the time, almost 20. But I remember when my mom, I came by the house and she said, you know, your run's tomorrow. And can you make me a promise? And I said, what, mom? And she says, make sure you're at the start line. And I, and I was, I didn't want to lie to my mother. That just was, didn't fly well with me. I'm like, crap, she's calling me out. I have to be at the start line of a run I signed up for, but I had no intention of doing whatsoever. I didn't want to expose myself because I looked different. I didn't like how my arm looked. I didn't like even who I was. I rarely went out during the daytime and did anything. And I showed up at the start line. I probably was out the night before, but I showed up and I was making fun of it. But I sat there on the start line and I saw everyone warming up and stretching. I go, I'm not those guys. I'm not going to be a little runner guy. And I made the promise that I would do the run. And I told her I'd be there. And so when the gun went off, I got up. I was on the line, I got up, and I did it. And I sucked. I was not good. I was, I was mad the whole time I was running. I didn't like what I was doing. I was, I could be better than this. I could beat some people, but I got crushed. But when I finished, the first time in two years, I was proud of myself for doing something. Something that I was scared of doing. I exposed myself to that failure and I, I gained from it. And I was, I felt alive. I felt part of the community. I filled a void with something that I've been missing. Activity, camaraderie, sweat, heartbeat. It is all the things that you probably can hate. And I found out that I loved it. And from two years went by, all I needed to do was put my shoes on and go for a run. If I knew that, Life would have been a lot easier. There was, there was a run to the hospital that, I mean, it did save my life. And I, I think there was stuff hidden in me about that run that will never, I mean, it, it can make me emotional thinking about it because there was so much happened in that half hour of my life. Every little piece I can play it through every drop of blood I remember, every stare and every, every frightening face I saw, I will never forget those. But that saved my life. And then that run where I sat on the 5K line and I got up and ran, that changed who I was at that time. And that, I gained courage, personal courage because I exposed myself to embarrassment. And I didn't like who I was at all, so it was, it was okay to lose. 
it's okay to lose, but it wasn't okay not to get up. And then since then, I don't know, I've done four Kona Ironmans. I won the Catalina Marathon. I've done countless numbers of Ironman 70.3. I've raced hundreds and hundreds of races from adventure races to ultra marathons to Leadville 100 mountain bike races to uh, off-road world championships. I'm a Paralympic silver medalist in cross-country skiing. I played rugby for years. I solo kayaked the Grand Canyon. But more importantly and possibly more difficult, I've been married for 20, coming up on 24 years, and I have two kids, an eight-year-old and a 10-year-old. And from that run, and an active lifestyle made me, I think, pretty good father. From all the things I've done, and I think some of them are, I'm proud of a lot of them, and, and most of them, someone would have to lead me and to even think about what I did. But from that run led to being married, and confident to be a husband and married for 25 years and having two kids, a little girl and a little boy. And I'm pretty confident that I'm a fairly decent father. And those are the things I'm most proud of. The opportunity at an active lifestyle for all of us, such as running, is, a, is one of the key components to what makes us healthy, happy individuals. And it's not that hard to share with people. It's not that hard to share with someone to bring them the happiness you receive when you toe the line. When you go into a community and expose yourself, not just as a runner or a roller, but you expose yourself to failure and realize it's okay. And, and so when we see people falling out, almost, I almost feel like we should gather and make running clubs under bridges. You know, have the running clubs meet under the bridges and you take someone by the hand and you go 100 yards one week and 200 the next, and by the end of the year you've gone 3,660,000 6, whatever yards and you, you've changed lives just by activity and camaraderie. It's not that difficult. But if we don't share it and we don't bring others with us, our thing will disappear. Because the less we share, the less we get. I was proud of myself for making it to the hospital on that run. And it's the run that, it's the run that I think may have saved my life. I think if I was laying up on the roof and I was waiting for someone else to take care of me, I don't think, I don't know if I'd have made it at that point. I lost a lot of blood. And I got to the hospital and here I am. But two years went by 
where I had nothing to fill the void that I was used to, which was exercise. I didn't know it. And my highlight of every day was, was uh, the end of the day when people would go to the pub, but they had accomplished something. I accomplished nothing. And I was struggling with identity and I allowed activity and exercise to not be what I was identified as because I couldn't do activity or exercise. It was hurt pretty badly. that guy before before I lost my arm I was a successful athlete which means I was I was vicious I was selfish I was narcissistic self-centered and celebrated I'm glad that guy's not here, not around anymore. I'd rather be, I like who I am now. And if I look back on that guy, oh, that guy, that guy. That's not the guy you'd want coming over to your house, picking up your daughter. But I will cut, I will cut that guy some slack because he was 18. And I think a lot of 18-year-old men think that's strong. And I think I was, hindsight, wrong. When people see me, I think a lot of times their first, their first judgment, I'm not saying they're, they're bad humans, but there is that, oh, that's awful what happened to that guy. He, he lost his arm. And I can't say back to them, the guy that had two arms is the one you should have been feeling sorry for. Because he was a cocksucker. He was a prick. And he's someone you didn't want in your living room or at dinner or dating your daughter. So maybe when you see me with one arm, you'll go, oh, thank goodness that guy lost his arm. I've been in a situation, and I felt this, I'm not saying it's so true, but the situation where people feel I, they need, I need to be fixed. I've even had religious people say things to me like, when Jesus comes, you'll get your arm back. And I just thought that, I hope Jesus has something better to do than that. <laughs> but I'm okay at this stage of my life being broken. I'm comfortable with being broken, and that's when I became fixed, was I was comfortable in my own skin. And it's the skin I have, and it's, it's, it's plenty good. I mean, we're all broken. And so, are we all uncomfortable? Your goal is to be comfortable with who you are and love yourself, and then you can love others more. But I think when I was broken and needed to be fixed, 
was when I hated myself and I couldn't love more. I, I was broken before I lost my arm. And then I lose my arm and I feel like I'm totally broken. But it was how I accepted. The fact was, I, we're all broken. But if you can't love yourself, then you can love no one. And when I loved who I was as a perceived broken person, that's when I actually started loving everyone. But it would have never happened if I wasn't broken. So I'm pretty comfortable with my brokenness, if that's a word. Strength. I'm guilty of preconceived notions of what people are capable of. Sometimes I see someone I don't believe in, like say my father was me as a wrestler and he thought I should quit. And I like being proved wrong by the ability of others because I have my preconceived notions of what people can do. And sometimes I'm judging others where I hate being judged and they put it in my face and someone with no hands and no legs swims a mile and a half out in the ocean. I would have never believed that until I saw it. And it's probably why I struggled so long because I believed once I was hurt, I was incapable of doing anything because I'd never seen it. I've never seen someone missing a limb do anything. And at that time, there wasn't a lot of people doing anything. But once I started doing stuff, I was like, it's not that hard. I was doing it. I was working a little bit harder and I had to change the way I did things. But I still didn't believe that others could do it. And they showed me what's possible. Little kids, older people, if given the opportunity, they showed me what is possible. People with disabilities. And I was inspired by that. And to this day, I still am in awe of the ability of all of us able or disabled. I love the human spirit, doing things that we think we can't. There was a, ga a man walking outside of a hospital and he, uh, I thought he was drunk and he was falling sideways and I walked over to him and I said, are you okay, brother? And he said, he said, I'm not. And I said, can I help you with anything? And it was outside of a children's hospital. And he said, my son was just shot nine times and he, he may die. And I put my arm around him and I, I walked him back to the hospital and we spent some time together and I talked to him and I, and I walked back into the hospital and I kept walking back to the hospital and it was a year that kid was in the hospital, one year, 54 surgeries, lost both his legs to save his life, to save his heart. They had to cut off some of his limbs. A year later, he gets out of the hospital and he was 16 years old. That was a life-changing experience for me and for that father and that family to see their struggle and their fight and to see how they hung in there every day, went to the hospital, spent hours and hours at that hospital. And then to see that 
kid put on some prosthetic legs and walk again, to see him sit in a, a wheelchair and roll, and see him grab a hand cycle and push it again, and get out the door and feel some sunlight. And when we see people, we don't know what they've been through. So that kid, to me, was one of the toughest people I ever met in my life. And hardly anyone knows him, because they don't see him. I've watched people get hurt, and people come to the hospital, and then they get home, and some people come by, and then months go by, and nobody comes by, and they slowly drop out of society, but not just the person hurt, their brothers or sisters or mothers and fathers, and slowly but surely they drift away, and we have nothing to learn from them because we never see them. They become invisible, and if we can get them back, we can get stronger when they come back. In, in, my, in my daily life, and it's just the way I, I function, I look to how disenfranchised populations, whether they be a minority, a, a refugee, uh, someone with a disability, mental illness, how are they isolated in society? And how can we integrate a larger population into what the mainstream population is doing that will strengthen us all by that integration and inclusion. And so I, I always look at it as a social impact and how you create a national social impact fund to improve the lives of all of us, raise all our boats. And rather than segregating us into Paralympics and Olympics and Special Olympics and colors and abilities, but how do we do more things that raise all our boats through an active, inclusive lifestyle? And those opportunities are there, but society has to be spoon-fed opportunities to change sometimes. And to me, if we can change the way we integrate those left behind that improve all of us, it's a benefit. And that, to me, is a social impact. And how we do that has to include an active lifestyle, has to include higher education, has to include social, like a race or something, a social thing that we're all, we can volunteer for, we can participate in, and we can cheer. So how do you increase those things and make people feel valued, welcomed, and included? If you include kids with disabilities in an active lifestyle in which able-bodied kids are doing, such as a walk, a roll, a run, we will all benefit. But if those kids are isolated, we have, we have taken away an opportunity to learn and grow. I, worked, I have worked for 30 years with people with disabilities and traumatic injuries. And, and I talked about strength. And, and I talked about people that spend a year in the hospital. And, and I, I've never seen people stronger than those that can go and endure and come back from something like that. And, and most people are like, how tragic it is that they're in the hospital enduring that. But the fact is, they're they're making us all stronger.
and they're giving us a little bit of their strength every day they fight. And I, and I, I feel I, like I want that power in me and I hope to give, I, when I get on a starting line, I hope to give some of that power back to others. I hope I'm strong and I hope people get some of my strength and I hope they give me some of theirs. And it's hard to explain, but we, I, I feed off of all of, of everyone else. And I hope others feel that they can feed off of me too. As Bob declared so emphatically at the top of this podcast, Willie brings a unique perspective and energy to the sport of triathlon. His strength of body and mind, candor, and encouragement of those struggling to realize their true potential rightly inspires anyone who comes in contact with him. Willie Stewart can change your life. Please subscribe to Beyond for the next story of humans doing inspiring things against the odds. This is Eric Gilsonen. Triathlon literally saved my life. I hope it can do the same for you. Beyond is brought to you by Hoka One One and Iron Man.